Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. at Sage 2, just so you know. I have been really worried about saying that tonight. I don't know why. I get so excited at the end of the live, and then I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Mum brain. Um, how are we? Are we all okay? We can see all your faces. It's amazing. Um, I know what you're thinking. Where are your kids? They're not here. Tom is looking after them. He's babysitting. <laughs> it's great that you laughed at that, because that is my best joke. Should we go straight in to our main podcast guest? I think we should. It's Bryony Gordon! <laughs> Hi, love. Hello. I'm Ooh. loving the jiggle. Oh, hello, everyone. You're, I'm dazzled by your beauty. <laughs> Isn't it lovely? Lovely crowd. This is much like my living room. <laughs> Is it? No. <laughs> I kind of wish it was. I'd really want to just recline for a little bit. I'd have... Just embrace. I, mine would be, like, covered in food. I don't know about any of you, but I, like, I bought this, what I thought at the time was a really nice sofa, like turquoise, a bit like low fish, you know, like, very Instagram. <laughs> but the problem is, I eat every meal. Like, I have a kitchen table, but it's just covered in stuff. And um, we eat every meal on the sofa, on the lush loaf sofa in front of the telly. And it's just covered in gross, like, <laughs> bits of... And I'm like, oh, it's my daughter. It's like, it's not my daughter. It's me. <laughs> so, Bryony, what was your childhood like? Oh, God. Oh my, how long have we got? <laughs> my childhood was... Um, I thought it was very normal. So my parents are lovely... God bless them. But they were very, I don't know, there was a lot of, 
from a very young age, I was incredibly anxious and I was worried about things like nuclear war and acid rain melting my face off. And I remember like my mum having, I was worried about fire and my mum had to give me like a little bell to put by my bed as if this was going to save the family if there was a fire. <laughs> and I remember her giving me like Mexican worry dolls. I now realise I was just men- mentally ill, basically. When I was 12, I became really unwell and I was convinced I had AIDS which is a weird thing to think you have when you're 12. And, like, I'd never even kissed a boy. Like, my drug habit was at least 10 years off. <laughs> and, it, and it never got intravenous. I lived in this, like, terraced house in suburban London. And we had, like, an Arga and a Volvo. And I had a cat called Moppet. And I was like, I'm dying of AIDS. <laughs> and at the time, and, it was really, and I was convinced I, like, had... I would wash my hands until they bled. And... I was obsessed with germs, and I have... I I didn't have AIDS. What I now know I had was obsessive-compulsive disorder. But at the time, I was... I know I look fantastically youthful, but I was 12 in 1992. (laughs) Like, nothing was really known about mental health then. It was like the dark ages five years ago, basically, in terms of mental health. So I just thought I was a really strange child. So my childhood was nice, and there was... You know, and it was loving, and there were all the nice things, but my overriding memory of it is being really scared. And I do think I was thinking about this the other day when I was reading about, like, eco-anxiety and children being worried about climate change and how people are alarming them. And I was thinking, childhood has never been a carefree time, actually. It's quite a frightening time. I don't know if anyone else agrees. Well, you hear little snippets of things, and you catastrophize it in your own... Yeah, and then, you know, and, you know, to be separated from your mum in the supermarket for a split second is to question your very, your entire kind of value system. And will you ever see her again? And so that's my memory of childhood. I was absolutely fucking terrified. Great. Sorry for swearing. (laughs) You can swear, it's fine. We just put it on. That's really nice Saturday night out for everyone. Did you ever look ahead and think what family life would be like for you? Did you ever think about starting your own family and being a mum? I was too scared. So, oh, God, this is always, like, really, like, I still find it really difficult to talk about now, even at 39, and as a mental health campaigner and someone who's done a lot of work on themselves and in the area. But So, obsessive-compulsive disorder, I describe it as your brain refusing to acknowledge what your eye can see so that your hand is clean or that the oven is off or that the hair straighteners are off or that the candle is off. But also it revolves around a lot around thoughts. So I had an adjunct to my normal germ, OCD, was a type called Pure O, which revolves around thoughts. So we've all had that thought, like what if someone hands us their baby and I just like throw it on the floor? You've all had that, yeah? No, just me? <laughs> Or you'll buy someone on, like, the metro, and you're like, what if I just push them under the train or something? You know, but you know you're not going to do that. They're just, like, the randomness of your... Everyone's like, can we leave now? (laughs) No, but it is that thing of you could do anything in that moment. Yeah, and so... But most people dismiss the thoughts and are like, no, this is just the randomness of the brain. But someone with pure O becomes tormented by the thoughts 
And it's so worried that they are the thoughts that they ruminate again and again. So I had that about children. I was really scared. So from the, the other way that OCD manifested it for me was that it made me basically from the age of 12 think I was also a serial killing paedophile. <laughs> I'm not, by the way. <laughs> but I would say that. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's... <laughs> so God, I'm breathless. Um, that, so I was terrified of the idea of having a family. Like, I just didn't think that would ever be on the cards for me because it was just the ultimate... Whenever I got, was near a child, I was terrified that I might do something like blank out in horror. Because now I know that this is a really common but not very talked about form of OCD because it isn't the kind of OCD that you talk about over the dinner table is it do you know what I mean like whenever I tell people I've got OCD they're like yeah me too you should see my sock drawer and I'm like why is it always the sock drawer <laughs> like you can't see my sock drawer I don't have a sock drawer I've just got a floor drobe do you know what I mean like I literally just put my head in my floor drobe this morning and came up with this so my husband jokes you have the wrong type of OCD <laughs> do you know what I mean but you know, there is no you know it's all bad but um I guess what I mean is it was family, the idea of starting a family. So I would I think that like I'd walk home from school and be scared that I'd murdered someone and like blanked it out in terror. So I mean, I was, God, I look back now and go, how did I like how did I manage to not be sectioned or something? But so, but the idea of having a family was terrifying. So it wasn't something I ever really thought about. This is really hardcore, so no, no, heavy. No, no, no. I mean, we're straight in there. Um, and then getting pregnant then and, f and finding out, was that a thing that happened or was it a thing that was planned? No, no, nothing I've ever done has been planned. So how did you feel when you found out that you were pregnant? Sick. So, okay, I need to like just explain a bit about me. So I, <laughs> so I met, I was a bit of a party girl and I met my now husband and but I was crazy you know and I thought that you know I was like I met this guy and we were living together and then after about seven eight months we found out I was pregnant and there was never any question that we wouldn't like go through with it because we were living together but it was a bit of a jump you know but I was like oh it's okay I'm like gonna get married I've got a baby I'm gonna have a bugaboo my life's gonna be sorted I'm gonna I'm gonna stop all that partying my OCD is just gonna go away it's all I'm all sorted now yeah okay bye everyone no that didn't happen no I immediately took myself off antidepressants when I found out I was pregnant without doctor's input right yeah and obviously went a bit mad and I was referred to the local oh God, like maternal psychiatric unit, which at the time, it all sounds much more serious than it was. And I had to go and see a psychologist every week during my pregnancy. But the really weird thing was, I was terrified because you are, when you're pregnant and when you're, you're always hear about postnatal depression. And I was just, and also you hear a lot about when people find out you're pregnant, they're like, oh. <laughs> get all your sleep in now, you're never going to sleep again. <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, what have I embarked on? Do you know what I mean? And they make it sound really terrifying and life-changing, which of course it is. But I, so I was like in profound terror and actually so much terror. And I was so used to such a high level of anxiety that actually when I had my daughter, I was like, this is a piece of piss. <laughs> And the, and the psychiatrist was like, oh, you're fine. We can discharge you. And literally everyone was like, you have taken the, to this like a duck to water. But I'm like, look, dude, I have been sterilizing my hands since I was like 12 years old. <laughs> like, this is nothing. Do you know what I mean? And like, 
So it was all weirdly quite nice. And also because I am in recovery from alcoholism and drug addiction, that's another thing. Um, <laughs> but that happened after having that a daughter. That happened later, but I was, yeah. I was used to not sleeping. Do you know what I mean? I found it much nicer waking up at five in the morning than going to bed at five in the morning. It was like a new side. I was like, I can do this. I'm okay. I'm making light of it, but no, it was weird. I didn't, I didn't have postnatal depression. Yeah. I, and I, I, you know, I know a lot about it. I meet a lot of people. I talk a lot about it with people in the work I do, but it wasn't something but that I But it must have been weird, sort of emotionally, even getting pregnant and kind of figuring out where you were. Mm. Because it wasn't planned. You know you have OCD. It must have been a scary place to be. It was a scary place, but I really genuinely naively thought that it would sort itself out. And Was it a straightforward pregnancy? Yeah, completely. Did you have a thing slightly early on? Oh, I did, yes, I did. I bled quite heavily. Yeah, it was really straightforward. No, early on. <laughs> I only know because... So I listened to your audiobook literally as I was walking in to see you for the podcast, your podcast, yeah. with Sarah Turner. And I'd got to that part and was literally crying, walking through London so I can remember listening to it. Yeah, where I started bleeding and went to A&E and they were like, you're probably having a miscarriage, come back on Monday. Did that change your outlook on the, on the pregnancy? It was really weird because I kept on bleeding, but I sort of, it was a weird thing where I just knew, I kind of knew it was going to be okay. I wasn't cramping, I wasn't... And I remember then having the internal exam and hearing or seeing I can't remember what it was because it was very early the heartbeat and being like I was there was never really doubt that I wanted the child or and I am so grateful for my daughter because I don't know where I'd be without her you know and I know that's not a very kind of like feminist thing to say or to admit to but I am well today, and I am well. Do you know what I mean? I don't drink alcohol. I don't take drugs. I run a mental health support group. I can come and sit up on stage and talk to you guys. You know, I talk to people about their mental health on podcasts and for interviews. And, and all of that is because of ED. All of it is because of ED. Because I thought I was okay, and I was. And I for a long time, I did. I was kind of bossing what I, I thought I was bossing motherhood and then about 14 months in I had a complete nosedive and my OCD came back with a vengeance and this time it was like you've hurt your own child and blanked it out and I was like I'm not doing this anymore I'm not doing this anymore I'm not playing this game. But it got so extreme that your that your partner was literally sleeping on the floor. Yeah yeah because I couldn't sleep I was so worried that I might have strangled her and then blanked it out or that she might not be breathing. I had to, like, watch her breathing. Yeah, so he just slept on the floor. Do you know what? I can kind of blank those things out because they feel like another person and another life. But, yeah, but there was that moment where I was like, OCD had ruined my life for most of my life, do you know what I mean? But I wasn't going to let it ruin her life or my husband's life anymore. And, but I also was not willing for my daughter to grow up in the same kind of society I had grown up where you don't talk about these things. Like, my parents thought that my OCD was a phase, and the sad truth is it could have been a phase. Like, most mental illness is incredibly treatable, just as most physical illnesses, you know. Like, if any one of us in this room 
was to get a diagnosis of diabetes type 2 next week. And we took our medication and we ate well and we exercised. We'd live a long and normal, healthy life probably. But if we didn't, we might end up getting our foot amputated. Do you know what I mean? And it's kind of the same with mental illness. You treat it early, it is incredibly treatable. But the average time for a child to get treatment in this country for a mental illness is 10 years. For me, it was more like... 22, 24, you know, I was grown up by the time I'd got it and I'd got it sorted. And what happens in that time if you don't, and I'm sure there's plenty of people in this room who don't need me to explain this to them, who have seen this firsthand either through their own experience or through people close to them who they love, is that if you don't get help for a mental illness as a child, and this is why child mental health is so important, you know, and so important that we talk about this stuff with our babies and our kids and each other as mums, but if you don't sort it out, you become like, and certainly I became like a kind of magnet picking up metal shavings, like... I snowballed, you know, so I remember my hair when I was about 17, all my hair fell out because of stress. And then I developed bulimia, which was like some sort of control. And then I then I discovered drugs and alcohol. And, you know, I was like, well, this is the best way to, you know, sort out the horrible thoughts in my head. It's not, by the way. You know, and I talk about this stuff because it's really important because I know that there will be people in this room as well, mums in this room as well, who have felt incredible shame for stuff that is not their fault. And that is just society that's failed them. And I, it was my daughter that brought me to a, a certain, first of all, me getting help for the OCD and talking about it and trying to find other people who had that type of OCD too. And then realising quite soon after that I had a real problem with alcohol I was indeed an alcoholic and the shame I felt there was huge you know I was like all the you know there aren't did you find more shame in that than the OCD stuff I think so yeah it's really interesting because I think that our view of an alcoholic is so unhelpful you know and I was I wasn't on a park bench I wasn't I didn't drink during the day I wasn't, like, pouring vodka on my cornflakes. You know, I didn't do any of those things. But when I drank, which was basically every night, every other day, I drank to, like, oblivion. So, like, if you said to me, oh, but we found this medication. Like, gee, if you said to me, we found this medication and it makes you want to have one or two drinks, I'd be like, I'm just not interested in taking it. No, thank you. Like, if we were to pick up a drink tonight, we would be on it. Do you know what I mean? And I wanted oblivion. And But every night I would black out and... How long had that been going on for? Basically, since the moment I started drinking. So, like, people often ask me, like, when did you know you had to stop drinking? When did you decide to stop drinking? And I think I decided to stop drinking the moment that I started. Like, I never drank normally. Like, I don't know. I'm sure there's people in this room that will get this, that, like, I knew from the moment I had a drink that, like, nothing good was ever going to come of this. Like, there were no nights where I was like, oh, just have one or two and then go home. That just never happened, ever. Right. It was not cool or pretty, but I loved it because it took me away from my own head. Well, how did that work with being a mum? And was being a mum and Edie being in your life a part of you stopping? Yeah, so I think that for a start, so I would only drink after she'd gone to bed and it was like a way to numb the thoughts of terror. So it kind of helped me in that thing of having to watch her the whole time. But I think, you know, there's a lot of mums who are alcoholics, 
And again, I say this again, and I don't mean this like I'm not casting aspersions over anyone, but I'm sure there are people in this room who know what it's like to feel that kind of stinging shame of like, I would take my daughter to school and be like, oh my God, I'm sure I stink of like rosé from the night before, even though I've like brushed my teeth or... And the consequences don't have to be that bad. Like I wasn't kind of like falling down the stairs or beating anyone up or anything like that, but it was the anxiety. It was like untenable. Like I was hollowed out by self-loathing. And I ended up taking myself off to rehab. No one has behaved as badly as me. No one is as shameful as me. Nobody drinks like me. I'm the worst human in the world. And the first person I met going in was another mum who lived literally a mile away and had a kid the same age as mine and worked in the same industry. I was like, oh. And now, the summer fair at my school, (laughs) it's quite funny, because I go to like AA and NA. I'm like, oh, hi there. I'm like, oh, we're everywhere. Do you know what I mean? People in recovery. It's really normal. It doesn't feel normal. But it's, I really am very passionate about taking the shame out of it because there is so much shame. And it's, you know, shame dies when you expose it to the light. It really does. And shame keeps us sick and it keeps us unwell. And the moment that we get it out and we, like, I, I have this thing where I think what the thing that all mental illnesses have in common is that they lie to you. So be it alcoholism, eating disorders, depression, schizophrenia, anxiety even, you know, anything on a small scale. They all lie to you and they all thrive in a culture of silence. So they work much like an abuser in that they tell you that no one's going to understand what you're going through, you're a freak, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just not true. Do you know what I mean? And the moment that you are able to share the way you feel or your experiences with someone else, and that person doesn't go, oh, my God, I'm running away and calling the police. Do you know what I mean? They just go, oh, yeah, I felt that too. I've experienced that too. You're not cured immediately, but you are, like, on the road to recovery. In a weird way, that's where this has come about. Because I think, on a very different scale, in terms of motherhood, I think when I first had Buzz, it was all about, I felt like everyone else had the answers, everyone else was getting it right, and I was the only one getting it wrong. So when you're talking about shame, guilt, and all those things of feeling like you're failing, actually, I think as a mum, you do experience those things anyway, because you feel like you're never enough. So Yeah, yeah, there's so much pressure. Yeah, and actually, as soon as one person starts vocalising that, that you cry in the bathroom because your toddler's having a tantrum, you don't know how to deal with it, you know, once you start talking about things like that, other people come back at you and go, you're not on your own. And actually, you just vocalising that Mm. makes me feel better because now I know that I'm not alone and I feel like I can deal with it a bit better. Well, it sort of right-sizes you, doesn't it? Yeah. And no one has ever, let me tell you this now, no one has ever got better from a mental health issue by not talking about it. Nobody, nobody in the world. Like, people may think, oh, you know, I've ignored it and it's gone away. Believe you me, it's going to come and bite you on the arse in some way. It's like, that's cheery, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) But do you know what I mean? They bubble up, you know, they don't... And it's this kind of stuff, being able to come here on a Saturday night and sit and tell you about the fact I had an illness that made me think I was a serial-killing paedophile and that I'm an alcoholic. So it's like, I can't tell you how wonderful it is, because, like, ten years Does ago... Does it feel freeing? It's just wonderful. I'm not, I'm not a bad person. I'm a really nice person, actually. I'm a good person, and I'm not the worst person in the world. And I'm a good mum. And, you know, and I really hope that my daughter... Because I'm not so naive as to think that... When my daughter's 15, she won't have mental health issues. I mean, I'm her mom. Of course she will. Um, but, but, 
But what I do hope is that she'll come to me and we'll deal with them like we would if she had tonsillitis or appendicitis. And we won't let them boil and brew into something else. And I do think we're of the generation, like, I have a huge amount of empathy for, like, my parents and grandparents and the generations before because they weren't ever given the opportunity to sort this stuff out. And it's just been handed down through the generations, you know. We're so lucky now that to be this generation where we go actually enough the buck stops here so like I feel incredibly lucky to be an alcoholic actually and to be someone with obsessive compulsive disorder which is not like when I was growing up if you'd said to me like Bryony you know when you're you know in your childhood did you want to grow up and become an alcoholic and sit in church halls drinking crap coffee with other alcoholics saying hello my name's Bryony I'm an alcoholic no I did not want to do that however it's the best thing that's ever happened to me I'm so lucky like I'm so lucky like this life is so precious like I'm a bit obsessed with this right now but to give you all an idea of like for example, my godson's mum died a couple of months ago of a really rare autoimmune liver disease andrea wasn't a drinker do you know what i mean but she got when she was pregnant with her second son she developed autoimmune hepatitis and she died um just under a year after her son was born and i remember sitting there with her in hospital thinking this is screwed up in a way you know like why am I sitting here and she's the one in the hot, you know, life is few. And I, my message to try and tell to people is we are all so lucky. We are all, each and every one of us in this room, a miracle. Like, do you know the chances of any of you being alive right now, what they are? They're like one in 10 to the power of 2,685,000, right? So there's like more chance of like, Brexit going through and everyone going, that was a wonderful idea. I'm so glad we did that. God, that was, that was a wonderful use of three years. Or, like, there's more chance of, like, England winning, like, the Football World Cup. There's more chance of dinosaurs roaming the earth than any of you being here. So, like, for a start... I do this, it's a biology lesson, like, you're happy mum, happy baby, you're like, dude, you don't have to tell me how babies are made, okay? But, like, your biological parents have to meet, and then they have to have sex when they do, and if your dad had, to put it bluntly, come a second earlier or a second later, you could be a completely different person. You might not exist. So, like, you know what happens. So the sperm gets released into the woman's body, and... (laughs) and it's like millions of sperm and they're like yeah let's go to get the egg and we all know that the egg is not there more often than it is right yeah the egg's like hmm like plays hard to get so the woman's body though also because it's not taking any old crap is like starts releasing natural acids to kill the crap sperm like die (laughs) so the weak ones go they're not coming into existence do you know what I mean and then the sperm they have to travel like the journey of like an iron man it's a long way like an iron man's a lot it's like a marathon a 120 mile cycle ride two mile swim and they have to do the sperm equivalent of that uphill <laughs> so some of them just go kind okay, of I'll be fucked with this and give up and die and then the rest of them, they carry on because they're like, yeah, come on, we want to make a baby, we want to fertilize the egg. And then they have to go through like mucus, I don't know what it is, but it's like the equivalent of like me or you like punching through the wall to get to, you know, it's like hard. So then, so some of them die. So then the remaining ones, they get to the fallopian tubes and they're like, do we go left? 
do we go right? That's if there is an egg in either of them. Half of the remaining ones choose the wrong one. Ah, ah, they're out. They ain't coming to see G and Happy Mom, Happy Baby Live in 27 years time or whatever it is. Okay, so the ones that have they made the right choice. So exciting. And they go up the fallopian tube. And there's the egg. And the egg, fucking hell, the egg is surrounded by white blood cells behaving like nightclub bouncers. Like, you ain't coming in here. And, like, one of them has to kind of sweet talk its way in. So, you see... The fact that you exist, and we know this, because we don't talk about miscarriage enough. I know you, we have together on the podcast and stuff, but so then you, the sperm fertilizes the egg, and then the biological mother can then carry the embryo <laughs> to full term or whatever term till it can be safely born. It's incredible. Like, I'm sure there's plenty of people in this room that know that that doesn't always fucking happen, okay? So you get to there, the baby's born, and then every day... Every day up until the point that you're here now, you have managed to stay alive. You are all absolute fucking miracles, all of you. And, and, I, and I just think that, you know, we should all just take the way our life is and try and take negatives and turn them into positives. And so I hope if my daughter... <laughs> comes to me and says, Mom, how was I made? I'll be like, you're in for a... <laughs> <laughs> no, we're all so lucky to be here and to be... So I don't have any shame anymore about talking about this stuff because what it's like it doesn't... In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Has your relationship with Evie changed since going sober? And I mean, obviously it's better. I don't think... <laughs> I have to say, like, I've turned up here. I wasn't, like, a terrible mum, like, when I was... <laughs> I wasn't, like, neglecting her. But I was more keen on, like, putting her to bed so I could go and sit in the garden and drink. And now I spent... I don't know. It's difficult. Like, I was so lucky that she doesn't think I've ever... She's just like, oh, my mum's allergic to alcohol, to wine or whatever. I'm like, yeah. But also, what I've noticed, I think the most important thing for me is, like, I get a lot of messages from mums saying to me, how do I instill, like, body confidence in my daughter or confidence in my daughter and I'm like well first instill it in yourself and the, what getting sober has done to me is it's allowed me to stop talking to myself like in a way that I would never even speak to my worst enemy you know that kind of trash talking we do to ourselves 
And I think that's the most important thing. So my daughter doesn't, she doesn't see me going like, oh, God, I hate my arms. Oh, it's like, what have your arms ever done to you? Like, your arms allow you to, like, hold her, you know. Oh, God, my legs are so fat, gross. I'm like, but lots of people can't use their legs. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, we're also, we're all, like, self-loathing is the norm for women, right? But that's Isn't just it? the way that we, it's the way that we've been brought up. Yeah, and but, we've been so, told but so to let's change ourselves. this. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I don't do that anymore. I don't go, oh, look, like, G and I ran a... 10k in our underwear I made her come and run it and I'm all about the body positivity the other day we were at our local leisure center and we were getting changed and I was like pulling up my top and I was like oh my my boobs are so big and she went no mummy your boobs are exactly as they're supposed to be we're all born as we're supposed to be born and I was like (laughs) where did that come from and I realized it's because I taught positively and I so I think it's changed and that I I hope that you know, she's a much more confident little girl. Did your attitude towards your body change after you gave birth? Absolutely, yeah. I think I've become much more, weirdly like my body much more now than I did when it was incredible. Is that because suddenly <laughs> it, it had a function and it was behaving in a different like, way? I've again. done like, uh, this is amazing. Like, I don't care. Like, I am, I'm amazing. I'm glorious, like, and if you don't... I have been between her bosoms quite a lot today, and and I must say... And you're amazing, and you're glorious. But for me, so I I would say, we've been talking about earlier, my relationship with my body has very much been like that. So we did the London show last year together, and you said... I'm thinking about doing the marathon. I want everyone to do it. And I was like, yeah, I'll just stay quiet. Then you emailed me. I thought you were asking me to do the marathon in my underwear. And I was like, no, I'm just too busy. I'm editing books. So I don't think my for JJ is quite ready for that yet. Uh, and then you were like, oh, no, I totally understand. But it is only a 10K. And you just caught me in that moment where I was like, <laughs> you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to run 10K in my underwear. What's the worst that can happen? And you have literally changed my whole outlook on my body and how... I feel about it's what it does for me. And I know I've had three kids and it's amazing and it's a miracle. And I think coming out of that place where you're constantly doubting what you look like and actually starting running. And even if you don't like the running, you're doing it and those endorphins. I have literally cried so much over running this year because I think I put my body in such a bad place in my mind but you and the work that you do for people is just incredible. Oh, thank you. I'm feeling really <laughs> <laughs> You know, that... Thank, thank you. And, that, and it meant a lot that you got behind it or in front of it or whatever we did in our... I've got to say, when those knickers first turned up, when you were like, just take a picture, I was like, oh, no, what do I do? <laughs> but it was so, like, that day was so... To kind of expect, me and my friend Jada, who's a plus-size model, had run the London Marathon the year before in our underwear as, like, a body positivity thing. Because I'd run it the year before that, and I'm, like... 15 16 stone and I didn't think I would be I I just thought people would laugh at me if I tried to run and they'd be like go to Burger King what are you doing and I found I could run nothing bad happened in fact lots of great things happened and I run all the time I ran like seven miles yesterday but how many people have you so I've talked about running to people and they're like oh no I could never run I couldn't let people see me running yeah it's like when have you ever looked at a runner and gone god she's red and puffy yeah yeah never you no never one, think that no one cares and it's you know and also I thought every Everyone I saw running, I thought they'd all woken up and gone, God, I just love exercise. Like, let's go for a run, everyone. That's really what I want. No, nobody wants to do exercise. Nobody wants to go for a run. But no one regrets going for a run. And 
And we really wanted to kind of spread that. For me, exercising for my mental health instead of my physical health was like a real game changer. And that's what you've done for me. That it was about, because yeah. for me, exercise, I don't know, like, I'm sure it's the same. Like, it was, it was all about get punishment. It. Yes, come and on, get those thighs into gear. It was about, it was about the losses. Yes, it was about yes. shrinking yourself, making yourself smaller. And actually, when I, I started doing exercise for the gains, like the mental clarity mm-hmm. it gave me, I really enjoyed doing it. Because guess what? No one wants to do something that's rooted in self-loathing. Because it doesn't matter how much weight you lose or how many inches around your waist you that go whenever you look in the mirror there you are and if you don't like yourself it doesn't matter how many dress sizes you go down you're just never gonna you're not gonna like yourself and I find that exercising for my mental health is is just such a wonderful thing and that was amazing to have like a thousand women thanks to you you know and the power of your social media following and everything come and join us on that day in their underwear with their names on their bum and it was just it was amazing wasn't it I've got to say when I got there you know on the train on the way there and you're on the tube and you're like okay I'm gonna get there I've already got my underwear on I'm gonna wait for the massive masty robing it's fine like it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine and then we got there and you and Jade were obviously already in your underwear because you were filming stuff so I was like Fuck it. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just get, my, get my kit off. And then so we all were sharing glitter and pouring all the glide on everywhere. Yeah. Because you don't want the chub rub. Yeah, that you was and gonna, Carrie came with a lot of glitter. A lot of glitter and a lot of chub rub. Chub me and Sharifa were like dealing in the... In well, the, yeah, because like, people, the one thing people always said to me, ooh, like you'll find excuses not to run, all the chafing. And I'm like, honestly, we did 26 miles with it and a body glide's amazing. And I use it like in the summer as well under skirts because it's just lovely. But um, (laughs) it was so powerful. And the nicest thing about that was that we were all running along through the streets of London in our underwear and like everyone was so supportive. And it was literally like, go on, get your kit on. No one said that. Not one person. They were all like, and it was women of all different body shapes. You know, the people who were small, people who were larger, people who were, you know, because I hate that thing that excludes, that's like real bodies. You know, only curvy women are real women. Like that's not, no, all women are real women whatever the shape of their body you know and so we had women with all different body experiences so like Deborah and Loza you know who you know Deborah has terminal bowel cancer you know women who thought that they wouldn't be able to do anything once they had diagnosis of cancer and that run it you know it was just so incredible we're going to do it again next year I've already got all These of I've got to be careful because this is when she talks me into doing stuff and I'm like, yes, Brownie. <laughs> We're going to do it. Ne- no, but I've already got the rest of the girls in the backstage. They've all agreed to do it. <laughs> um, and all of you are going to do it too. <laughs> it's going to be so fun. We're going for three and a half thousand women. <gasps> for the 10K? Yeah. And 10K is piece of piss. Honestly, honestly, you, that you weird can, you thing. Can, you can walk it, or you can walk it. No, it's not. It's like there's also. I think there's something really amazing for your mental health about doing that couch to 10k thing and being like, oh, my body can do more than I thought it could the week before. Instead of being like, I hate my body. It's useless. You know, your bodies are amazing. All of you, all of you are amazing. They are, and there is something about that 10k and doing it in that environment which is just so uplifting. I think everyone wanted to take their clothes off and join us. They did. I literally, I smiled the whole way round. It was the best 
day, I was on a high and I would much rather be sitting here in my underwear right now than this stupid you almost dress. Because <laughs> that's popping open there. They've just got a top on underneath. She didn't have a top on underneath. <laughs> it was, uh, but I would rather, I feel actually really, I don't know about anyone else here, I feel more comfortable than when I have to kind of like put on dresses and doll myself up. And I, there's nothing wrong with wanting to doll yourself up and all of that. But I... There's something very freeing about running almost naked through the streets of a capital city. I really recommend it. Maybe we should come and do one in Newcastle. Might be easier for you guys. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, because I'm not that I'm going to like stereotype, but it's already like, you are my people. <laughs> so it's amazing though, in terms of being a mum and your daughter, how she's getting that. Because yeah. I think a lot of people kind of go, I'm going to change that pattern. And I don't want the same negative spiral that I had. And you're making those things so that ED doesn't have to... Well, you know, you don't know what else is going to be there, but you're a massive force in... Also, I think it's that thing, isn't it, that we... I'm not unrealistic. Like, I know we're all... Like, puberty's weird. You know, suddenly your body changing is weird and all of that. And I'm sure this is all coming for me in the post. In a, My daughter's, like, six. So, you know, in a few years' time, I'll be like, I'll take everything back. Um, but, it's always dangerous when you think you've yeah, got it down. But, no, you don't. I, but I think, you know, like, I'm also, like... I, I, like, people often say to me, oh, God, I wish I had your confidence. And I'm like, I don't have confidence. Confidence is a trick. But what I do have is a desire to not spend any more time hating on myself. Like, I just... Life is really too short, do you know what I mean? To analyse the cellulite or the whatever, you know... For the, for my, for the my, podcast my, listeners, the legs are out. And, <laughs> and I, I just can't be fucked. And... So I'm not asking you and I'm not asking my daughter to like stand up in the morning and go, I love you in the mirror or anything like that. What I'm asking you to do is not look in the mirror and say, I hate you. Okay. And that's a different thing. Just being like, you're fine. Like you're totally fine as you are. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not, it shouldn't be radical to accept yourself as you are. And that's what I hope my daughter, I hope my daughter will grow up and know that her worth is not found in the way she looks or the numbers on a set of scales, you know, that she doesn't owe anyone pretty or polite or, no, she does need to be polite. But like, <laughs> she do, do you know what I mean? It's not about being like, her purpose in life is not to be appeasing to members of the opposite sex, you know, and I hope that she grows up knowing that and that's all I want her to grow up knowing that as long as she's kind to people keeps her side of the street clean and doesn't feel that she owes anyone anything that she doesn't want to give them you know um so yeah I don't think that's much to ask do you I mean, we've, we've set the... Us women have set the bar quite low, haven't we? We're like, you just, just let us be. <sighs> Do you feel like you're enjoying motherhood more? Oh, we're going to love it. I really... I'm like, I'm missing my daughter right now. Natalie's daughter was backstage, and she's about the same age as Edie, and she had all her, what I call, lol dolls. She was like, no, the LOL dolls. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And they were so similar, and I was thinking, oh, my God, they just get on so well. But it's also really nice to know I can spend the night away and I'll get a good night's sleep. But, no, I really <laughs> enjoy I enjoy everything. And I and I don't, I don't like, I try not to kind of pathologise everything that doesn't. Perhaps, like, my daughter likes to climb into bed in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. and everyone's like, oh, you better watch that. You better watch that. Oh, that's really bad. 
sad. I'm like, she's just not, she's not, not going to be doing it at 21. It just <laughs> makes me sad. It makes me sad knowing that at some point, like the boys will do that for the last time and I won't know that it's the last yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. So like, just imagine every time's the last time and enjoy it. I just think children are wonderful and no child is born bad. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And... I think that they're just like us. They just want to be heard and listened to, even if sometimes they're complete assholes. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a complete asshole sometimes too, you know? And I, I do think also we freak out a lot, don't we, about like the generational differences and like, oh, I just don't know what it's like to be young nowadays, like a child nowadays, because we didn't have social media. But the feelings are all the same. We're all human. We all remember what it was like to be... 12 or whatever or you know and I think it's just I love it I'm so lucky I sometimes I pinch myself and I'm like people often say to me oh you're gonna have another one and I'm like I don't know you tell me about your sex life um like I'm lucky to have this one do you know what I mean and I sometimes think oh, I've got trapped in a, I've been sucked through a wormhole into a parallel universe and actually there's me back there as I was like 10 years ago, like, really miserable, and I don't have ED, and there's no point thinking about it, really, because I am where I am, and I'm incredibly lucky. Thank you. (laughs) Bryony, we're on the last three sentences. You're going to finish them for me. Being a mum means... Not being able to pronounce lol dolls. (laughs) (laughs) Since having children, I have become a lot sexier. Ooh. I'm happy when... I'm in bed with my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's been a long time (laughs) since we managed to sleep a whole night through in the same bed. (laughs) But I'm also also happy when I'm in bed with my... I'm happy in bed with anyone, frankly. (laughs) to Bryony Gordon <laughs> thank you everyone you have been a lovely audience I hope you've had an amazing time see you next time bye Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.